Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystic Show. The show where we talk about spirituality, meditation, mindfulness, and some self-help, some personal development in there. Because as you know, or you may not know, this show is focused on all things otherworldly and unseen. However, we do focus on the practical application of such topics. So the show is not meant to be purely philosophical, where we talk about abstract ideas all the time. We can definitely do that. And then we also like to talk about how to apply that in our lives. Because really, each of us is a mystic in training. We're all on the spiritual path. Some of us are conscious of it. Some of us are not. But we're all on the path to becoming saints, if you will. So our website is themysticshow.net, themysticshow.net, and I just last night was setting up that website, so it's very sparse with content at the moment. But uh, later today or tonight, I should have the website, you know, at least uh, presentable. And also, I'm going to post the previous episodes of the show. Apparently, this, well, today's Friday, and uh, so this is our 10th episode already. We do the show live every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, which is New York City time. And then that night, we replay the morning show twice. We replay it at 8 p.m. Eastern and 1 a.m. Eastern. So you can catch the replay when the podcast is up. You can catch the podcast. or well, The podcast is basically audio on demand. So that they'll just be this massive archive of all the past episodes. And, of course, you can tune in live every morning. And you can call me. The phone number here is on the, well, actually, if you go to the website now, it'll be there. Uh, But the number is 973-498-8033. 973-498-8033. And it's yesterday afternoon. I was on YouTube. I haven't been on YouTube in a while. And for some reason, I landed on... This video, this it was really like a show that was talking about uh, enneagrams. I don't know if you've heard of these enneagrams. Um, anyhow, they were discussing one of the types of enneagrams. Apparently, there's nine different types, and from what I gather, because I literally I just 
watched this video yesterday about it, and that's really all I know. But apparently, there are basically nine different personality types, and you know, each of us has actually each of us has all nine within ourselves, but some of them are more pronounced, some of them are more dominant, if you will. So it's possible that you could find out which which type of Enneagram you are. Um, and, and there's even a little test, online test, that can help you figure that out. I actually took the test. It's like an abbreviated version of a real test. So it's, you know, basically the real test, I think they wanted you to pay 10 bucks. Um, I took the little mini test and... It was okay. I mean, you know, in my mind, what these Enneagrams were sort of similar to is astrology. And astrology, that's a big topic. I was into astrology pretty deeply about, I'd say, 10, 15 years ago. And I thought it was very interesting, you know, like anybody who gets into astrology, it's very interesting. And and when I mean astrology, I don't mean like the daily horoscope that's going to tell you what's going to happen today. I don't, in fact, I always thought they were a little bit, you know, annoying, a little bit of a gimmick. The astrology I'm talking about is finding out not only your sign, but which is your sun sign, but finding out your moon sign, your Mars, your Venus, all the planets, your rising sign. And then you can sort of see what all the different sign, what, what all the different planets mean and what your sign in that planet means about you. I found it very interesting and I really like some of the books I read on astrology, I think said something very, very true. They basically said that astrology it really can't predict the future. I mean, it's not like it's it's not like it, you know, is telling us our destiny or anything like that. But it's basically showing us what our inclinations are. So if you're whatever sign you are, it you know, that may sort of point at what you're inclined to do, what might be more natural for you to do, but each person still has their free will, and each person still can make choices, and each person can work on their character and become whatever kind of person they want to become, almost. I think when it comes to our character... Most of us just overlook the fact that we can change, that we can become different people. We can become more like we want to be. Of course, that's a bit scary and not easy, right? Because it takes a while to create new habits. But it's definitely possible and... For those of us on the uh, path to becoming 
a mystic. Uh, we know that. We know we can change our character. And, um, and that's the, that's the battle that we're fighting every day. Although that's not a good analogy. I don't like the fighting analogy. In fact, you hear that in America, you hear this analogy all the time. Oh, we're, you know, the war on drugs and we're fighting against cancer and like, we're always fighting. Like we have to fight something and beat it and kill it. And it doesn't have to be that way. In fact, Eastern philosophy goes the other way and says, ignore it. Just ignore it. Accept it and ignore it (laughs) as best you can. And that's it. Don't worry about it. Don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Just ignore it. But here in America, we think, oh my God, you can't ignore it. What are you, irresponsible? You can't ignore that. In fact, I just this morning peeked at um, Google News on the internet. I went to uh, the Google News page and I just looked at like the first three top stories. And I haven't done that in a a while, actually. Um, Well, maybe a couple weeks. I guess every couple weeks I just take a literally like a 15 second glance at the biggest news topics. Because... You know, it's nice to know a tiny, tiny bit what's going on, but I, in my opinion, we don't need to know any of that stuff in detail. Now, of course, if it's politics and you're into politics or you're in whatever you're into, you obviously will follow. But as far as being like a news junkie, just you have to see the news every hour of every day or, or every morning, or you have to read the paper every morning. I guess the paper's different because there'd be more local stuff in the paper as well, which is more applicable to wherever you live. But as far as the news, I mean, do you really need to watch the news on TV or read the news every day? My opinion is no. You don't. And if anything, and I think if anything really important happens or anything huge happens, I'm going to hear about it. And I always do. Someone says, oh, there's a big storm coming. Oh, did you hear about that? No, I didn't. Tell me about it. Or once I know there's a big storm coming, then I can go to the internet and find out about it. But I don't need to monitor the news every five seconds and, and, and worry about, I mean, apparently there's just another shooting somewhere. And it's like, really, do we, is, is it, does it really help us to talk about that? Every day, all the negativity on the news, does it really help us? There's been scientific studies that say no. That when big news stories like that come out, really nasty news stories, that creates more shootings and more of, you know, negative activity. Horrible stuff. It's been proven. People have studied this. But yet it's catchy, it's uh, shocking, and it just catches our attention. It's like, you know, the old analogy. It's like the train wreck. You can't you can't take your eyes off it because it's just so awesome in the in the actual meaning of the word awesome that you can't turn away. 
So, so Enneagrams, astrology, it's interesting stuff. And I think it's good to, if someone's going to use it to study themselves and think about themselves and develop a higher awareness, great. Go for it. That's what I did 10, 15 years ago. And I sort of, I won't say I grew out of it, but I sort of, I that's when I found my meditation practice and I started learning about Raja Yoga and, you know, deeper, I won't say deeper, but, but practical spirituality more of a more Eastern type where it's all about meditation and, and regulating your mind and real practical stuff, becoming in control of your mind and yourself instead of letting your mind go crazy and drag you everywhere, including to Google News and, uh, and the, the daily horoscopes. So I thought that was interesting. Any, have, have you ever looked into Enneagrams? Do you know your Enneagram? Do you know your astrology signs? And how are, how are you using these in your life? What does it mean to you? You can call me if you want. You can call. If the phone's not busy, I mean, you can hear the phone is just ringing off the hook. Our operators are, you know, their arms are getting tired from lifting up the phone and answering the phone. All right. So here we go. Let's move on. This, now we're going to get into something actually worthwhile. (laughs) Uh, Maybe my little thing about the Enneagrams and astrology was okay. But back to our book, Byways of Blessedness by James Allen. We're going to start chapter four today. I'm pretty sure it's chapter four. No, it's chapter five. So chapter four was burden dropping. It was about dropping all that heavy baggage that you're carrying around. Chapter 5 is called Hidden Sacrifices. Hidden Sacrifices. And again, this book, Byways of Blessedness, is by James Allen, the English mystic from the late 19th and early 20th century. So let's get right into it. Chapter 5, Hidden Sacrifices. It is one of the paradoxes of truth that we gain by giving up. We lose by greedily grasping. Every gain in virtue necessitates some loss in vice. Every accession of holiness means some selfish pleasure yielded up. And every forward step on the path of truth demands the forfeit of some self-assertive error. He who would be clothed in new garments must first cast away the old. And he who would find the true must sacrifice the false. The gardener digs in the weeds in order that he may feed with their decay, the plants which are good for food. And the tree of wisdom can only flourish flourish on the compost of uprooted follies. Growth 
gain necessitates sacrifice, loss. The true life, the blessed life, the life that is not tormented with passions and pains, is reached only through sacrifice, not necessarily the sacrifice of outward things, but the sacrifice of the inward errors and defilements. For it is these, and these only, which bring misery into life. It is not the good and true that needs to be sacrificed, but the evil and false. Therefore, all sacrifice is ultimately gain, and there is no essential loss. Yet, at first, the loss seems great, and the sacrifice is painful. But this is because of the self-delusion and spiritual blindness which always accompany selfishness, and pain must always accompany the cutting away of some selfish portion of one's nature. When the drunkard resolves to sacrifice his lust for strong drink, he passes through a period of great suffering, and he feels that he is forfeiting a great pleasure. But when his victory is complete, when the lust is dead, and his mind is calm and sober, then he knows that he has gained incalculably by the giving up of his selfish animal pleasure. What he has lost was evil and false and not worth keeping. Nay, its keeping entailed continual misery. But what he has gained in character, in self-control, in soberness, had greater peace of mind, is good and true, and it was necessary that he should acquire it. So it is with all true sacrifice. It is at first, and until it is completed, painful, and this is why men shrink from it. They cannot see any purpose in abstaining from and overcoming selfish gratification. It seems to them like losing so much that is sweet. Seems to them like courting misery and giving up all happiness and pleasure. And this must be so. For if a man could know that by giving up his particular forms of selfishness, his gain in happiness would be immeasurably greater, unselfishness, which is now so difficult of attainment, would then be rendered infinitely more difficult of achievement. For his desire for the greater gain, his selfishness, would thereby be greatly intensified. No man can become unselfish and thereby arrive at the highest bliss until he is willing to lose looking for neither gain nor reward. It is this state of mind which constitutes unselfishness. A man must be willing to humbly sacrifice his selfish habits and practices because they are untrue and unworthy. 
and for the happiness of those about him. Without expecting any reward or looking for any good to accrue to himself. Nay, he must be prepared to lose for himself, to forfeit pleasure and happiness, even life itself, if by so doing he can make the world more beautiful and happy. But does he lose? Does the miser lose when he gives up his lust for gold? Does the thief lose when he abandons stealing? Does the libertine lose when he sacrifices his unworthy pleasures? No man loses by the sacrifice of self, or some portion of self. Nevertheless, he thinks he will lose by doing so, and because he so thinks, he suffers. And this is where the sacrifice comes in. This is where he gains by losing. All true sacrifice is within. It is spiritual and hidden, and is prompted by deep humility of heart. Nothing but the sacrifice of self can avail, and to this must all men come sooner or later during their spiritual evolution. But in what does this self-abnegation consist? How is it practiced? Where is it sought and found? It consists in overcoming the daily proneness to selfish thoughts and acts. It is practiced in our common intercourse with others, and it is found in the hour of tumult and temptation. There are hidden sacrifices of the heart which are infinitely blessed both to him that makes them and those for whom they are made, albeit their making costs much effort and some pain. Men are anxious to do some great thing, to perform some great sacrifice which lies beyond the necessities of their experience, while all the time, perhaps, they are neglecting the one thing needful, are blind to that sacrifice which by its very nearness is rendered imperative. Where lurks your besetting sin? Where lies your weakness? Where does temptation assail you most strongly? There shall you make your first sacrifice, and shall find thereby the way unto your peace. Perhaps it is anger or unkindness. Are you prepared to sacrifice the angry impulse and word, the unkind thought and deed? Are you prepared to silently endure abuse, attack, accusation, and unkindness, refusing to pay back these in their own coin? Nay, more, are you prepared to give in return for these dark follies kindness and loving protection? If so, then you are ready to make those hidden sacrifices 
which lead to beautific bliss. If you are given to anger or unkindness, offer it up. These hard, cruel, and wrong conditions of mind never brought you any good. They can never bring you anything but unrest, misery, and spiritual blindness. Nor can they ever bring to others anything but unhappiness. Perhaps you will say, But he was unkind to me first. He treated me unjustly. Perhaps so, but what a poor excuse this is. What an unmanly and ineffectual refuge. For if if his unkindness toward you is so wrong and hurtful, yours to him must be equally so. Because another is unkind to you is no justification of your own unkindness, but is rather a call for the exercise of great kindness on your part. Can the pouring in of more water prevent a flood? Neither can unkindness lessen unkindness. Can fire quench a fire? Neither can anger overcome anger. Offer up all unkindness, all anger. It takes two to make a quarrel. Don't be the other one. If one is angry or unkind to you, try to find out where you have acted wrongly. And, whether you have acted wrongly or not, do not throw back the angry word or unkind act. Remain silent, self-contained, and kindly disposed. And learn, by continual effort in right doing, to have compassion upon the wrongdoer. All right, we'll leave it there for right now, about halfway or a third of the way through this chapter on hidden sacrifices. We'll just take a quick break. Welcome back to The Mystic Show. That little musical piece is the beginning of a song called Mystic Voyage by Deuter. So thank you for that. Our website is themysticshow.net. Themysticshow.net. And you can call us here at 973 
1-800-498-8033. And look at this. We actually have a phone call. And I don't hear anything. Hello, welcome to the Mystic Show. Who's this? Hey, Chris. This is Satya. Hi, Satya. You're on the air, by the way. Yes, I, I know. All right. Hey, I just have to tell you to make sure. <laughs> yeah, I was just listening to that uh, reading by James Allen. Ah. Uh, very powerful, really. Uh, I didn't know about this Mystic Kerala, and I was looking up uh, him on the Amazon yesterday. And... Uh, and uh, yeah, this passage really connected with me, you know, what you're reading, that we have to kind of sacrifice some of our vices. Right. In, our, in order to grow spiritually, I guess, you know, that's what I got uh, from that passage. So have, but, um, uh, have you ever read Byways of Blessedness before, Satya? No, no. Okay. In fact, uh, uh, I was, you know, I was wondering which book you were reading, and I don't know if it was available, you know, on Amazon or not. So I'm, I'm going to look it up today and see. But there was a free, free book available, so I kind of downloaded a 50-page book, free on Kindle. So I was, I was reading through it. Oh, okay. Which, uh, which title was that? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember off the top. Okay. Yeah. Well, byways of blessedness. Um, I actually, I'm going to publish that through my own publishing company very soon. Wow. Yeah, okay. because, um, because it is so old and the, the copyright, you know, is, has long run out. It's a, it, definitely it's a work that's in the public domain. So I'm going okay. to publish that pretty soon. It, it'll take at least a few months, but, um, but at that point, folks will be able to, to get a copy of uh, Byways of Blessedness. Okay. So sacrifices, oh, Satya, <laughs> are is that something that you know strikes up a fear in you? Is that like like what James Allen said? Is it like something that just says, "Oh my God, sacrifice"? That's that's hard. <laughs> well, I think uh, yeah, I think you know, um, as you know, you know, I, I am also into spirituality and. You know, before I got into spirituality, I never thought about, you know, some of these things, some of these uh, um, practical you know, aspects. For example, sacrificing. Like, I think I mentioned to you, since I know you, that, you know, I used to be a, a like a, you know, habitual watcher of news. You know, you were talking oh. about it earlier today. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, very, you know, strong identification with politics and things like that. And... And what I wanted to say was, yes, James Allen was saying, you know, you, you need to let go of some of these vices. You, need, you know, I think um, he talked about drinking and other things. Mm. Um, but, you know, without without the help from the spiritual side, it may be hard to do that on your own. So that, that's what came to my mind. That, you know, if you start, you know, if you practice something, if you practice meditation, maybe some of these things will go away on, on its own. Uh, what I was trying to say is it may be extremely hard for, you know, people to give the, give it up on their own because, you know, I, I've been watching news for 20 years on a regular basis every day. And you, I used to read newspapers, uh, internet, and TV. And I never thought about giving up. And then all of a sudden, you know, I lost interest in it. 
you know, maybe that's that's the way to do it. You bring up a really good point, and and you know, you and I practice the same meditation practice, uh, Sahaj Marg, and we know that just like you said, um, your eff- someone's effort on the spiritual side can help a lot in terms of overcoming, you know, physical the material world habits, and um, I think the cleaning process in Sahaj Marg is pretty much invaluable for that because you're really sort of brushing away. Um, all these impressions, all these old habits and tendencies, and um, and obviously you're also turning your focus to a spiritual goal. So it's like the combination of those two things. Um, you know, I've seen it many times um, from people on the spiritual path who, by working on spirituality the right way, just like you said, changing the habit in the physical world is much easier. Yeah. So... Uh, where are you calling from, Satya? No, actually, I'm home today. Uh, today is my last uh, summer Friday, you know, off day. So. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. <laughs> Getting back to regular Fridays from next week. So All right. I thought I would take the opportunity to call in. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, we're ha- I'm happy you called. And so let me ask you this. What What was it in your life? What, what circumstances or, or situations sort of were the the kind of spark or the impetus for you to, you know, start looking into spirituality? And, I mean, I know you grew up in India, so, it, it you know, was it something early in life that sort of sparked you that said, hey, there's more to life than this? What was it? Well, I mean, you know, growing up in India as a Hindu, you know, uh, we didn't, we practiced, you know, the, the ritualistic aspect of, you know, religion. You know, doing prayer at home and, you know, uh, learning some of the, you know, the other aspects, uh, practical, you know, prayers and rituals. Um, and for the longest time, I really didn't connect with it, you know, because I used to do it because, you know, you're supposed to do it as, you know, growing up in India and then go to temples. And even when I came to North America, I used to practice through a little bit of that. You know, go to temples and but I never felt the connection, you know, to something. Um, but one thing that I had I learned was growing up in India was yoga. So I connected with yoga, the physical, you know, yoga about ten years ago, about twelve, you know, twelve years ago now. Um, I was doing it off and on, but you know, really you know, on a daily basis, and that helped me a little bit. But then still, I felt something lacking. You know, even with that, that you know, I tried to do meditation on my own, you know, several times, and then I gave up. I think that happens to a lot of people that I know. Hmm. You start to do something on your own, and then it doesn't last. Uh, you know, until, you know, my four years ago, when, you know, my brother was into this, so I can, you know, so I knew about it, and he said, why don't you try it? And then all of a sudden, boom. Hmm. I connected with it. Right, see, that's so very... That's yeah, it's very interesting how you, you know, growing up in India, you just, as part of life, as part of Hinduism, you just do all these different prayers and rituals and everything. And I guess it's the same over here with Christianity. Like, I grew up as a Catholic, but the thing is, there's like, over here in America, there's really no emphasis on meditation or uh, prayer. Like, like pray- well, I guess there's a little bit of prayer, but not the same. I think... Hinduism and, and, you know, 
the spirituality that's in India in general is is just more uh, open to meditation. Would you say that? Yes. Yeah. The core the core of Hinduism is actually you know based on you know Bhagavad Gita and meditation. But unfortunately, over thousands of years, you know, a lot of things have been added on over it, so it kind of made it you know more into a ritualistic practice. But if you dig deep, uh, as you know, you probably have done. And by studying yoga, you know that the essence of it is the is meditation. That God is, you know, within you, and the only way to kind of know God is through meditation rather than all these practices. And also in your the Indian heritage, you might call it. There's there's a boatload of saints and and great spiritual men who have meditated and had realization. Right? Are there a lot of examples of that in India? Right? Oh yes, yeah, hundreds. And probably thousands. You only know, you know, a few, you know, who are famous, who become famous. But as you know, if you, you know, go around India, there are so many ascetic sadhus, you know, who are, on, you know, chosen to be on this path. You know, some of them real, some of them fake, but there are, you know. But the society in, in general, you know, kind of tolerates that type of behavior, you know, going off and, you know, they don't think it's weird or something because... You know, it is connected with religion somewhat, so, you know, it is encouraged and tolerated. <laughs> and, and in my thinking, it actually serves, it, it serves as an example to the children, I mean, and the culture, that, hey, you can actually meditate and achieve something. I mean, there's, yes. no, there's nothing in America that's like that at all. We don't, we, we never hear of anything until... I mean, until you grow up and you start to question your religion, which is usually Christianity, um, and you start searching for answers, you, you you're not really. I I mean, at least I wasn't introduced to any, you know, uh, or or a whole host of people who have done meditation and and achieved something through it. I never even knew that existed. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's why I wanted to ask you yesterday. I think you were, you know, touching a little bit on, you know, how you started this practice. You know, how how did that happen to you? How did that shift? You know, all of a sudden, at age of 31, you kind of changed course. And, uh, I mean, you know, that's, you know, that's really hard to do, <laughs> you know, change your life. Yeah. You know, direct, direction of your life. And uh, I, we never talked about, you know, I, I never asked you uh, this before, but I thought maybe this shows a great way to get forum to do that. Yeah. Kind of well, explore that. I mean, as I mentioned, I was reading, I was interested in a lot of, you know, esoteric and, you know, mystical subjects, uh, which I mentioned a lot of, uh, just reading a lot of different books. And, and then, but honestly, it was like I was around 31 years old and my life was just, I had gone through a couple really bad situations and I think it was just in general that I was starting to, you know, I was into my 30s, almost well into my 30s and and nothing in my life was working and I had just had a couple, like I said, went through a couple bad situations and so I think it was literally tragedy, although it wasn't, you know, wasn't a super tragedy, but it was it was i don't i don't suffering pain and suffering i think that drove me to say you know what this is i don't even know what i'm doing and i i think that's when i first admitted to myself that you know what i 
I've always thought that I know what life is. I know how to live life and I know what to do and what job to take and all this stuff. I always pretended like I knew everything, but everything just crumbled around me for my whole life. It, nothing ever really worked for me. So I finally came to this point when I said, there's something wrong. Like, and I have to find out what it is. And I, and I was pretty sure it was, you know, had to do with meditation and spirituality. I, I mean, that was the only thing left. I mean, how, how, how often can you go from one job to another, to another, to another, <laughs> and, and, and keep thinking that the next one is going to be great when all the others have been horrible? <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. So, so that, that, and I think it's true for a lot of people. They come to spirituality from either a tragedy or pain and suffering. Even folks from India, right, who, who have grown up knowing about meditation their whole life, but they probably sure. never, never meditated for 30 seconds, but yet they, maybe they're living in America for 15 years and, you know, something bad happens in their family and they're like, oh my God. And then they start meditation, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, another interesting thing, Satya, is that the, the goal of a spiritual practice, mm-hmm. most people who, when they come onto the spiritual path, like officially, consciously, I think most everyone is looking for relief from some sort of pain. They're not really looking for... Uh, you know, to gain bliss or self-realization. <laughs> um, yes. And it, it, it reminds me of something I learned from Tony Robbins years ago. He, he, I can't remember what he called it, but, um, but you can have sort of one, one attitude or the other. You can either be moving towards something or moving away from something. It's sort of like your inner motivation for doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like, so for starting meditation, people are either moving towards something or moving away from something. And like I just said, I think most people are moving away from pain and suffering and tragedy as opposed to moving towards, you know, bliss and saintliness and all this other stuff. Would you agree with that, Satya? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the, you know, as if they stick with the practice and then I think then the other part will come. And maybe that's how it's supposed to work. Even Eckhart Tolle says, for most people, pain and suffering is their first, you know, is the only spiritual guide that kind of pushes them in towards, you know, questioning, you know, what, you know, what are we doing here and, you know, why are we here? And so I think, you know, that's how it is supposed to happen for most people. You know, those who are lucky will, you know, probably get, you know, get in some other way, but for majority of people, even you know, I think Eckhart Tolle mentions in his book, pain and suffering will be their only spiritual guide. <laughs> you know, as it happened to him, you know, he had an awakening just by uh, extreme suffering. <laughs> but but those are the very you know, few lucky ones. But you know, most people just suffer through it. Yeah, and, and it. It's funny how we're reading the James Allen book, you know, the I think chapter 2 was uh transcending difficulties and perplexities. And and that's exactly what James Allen says that you know, yes. these these difficulties and perplexities literally are the very thing that when you face them and overcome them, they will give you that strength that you need. 
but like you said, most people they just they just keep suffering. But you know, no. there's going to come an end to that, though. I mean, people can only suffer so much. Either, either they're going to wake up like I did one day and say, "Man, my life is just stupid. Like I'm an idiot. <laughs> like I have to do something real because everything I've done is a joke." Either they're going to wake up like that, or, you know, who knows? Maybe the universe might might call them back home. You know what I mean? I think I think death might be at times could be one of those releases that people need, you know, when they've suffered enough or they've learned enough or, you know, when, when they've taken all they can take, uh, maybe it's their time to go. Yeah, but it does take a lot of courage to kind of change your thinking, <laughs> especially, you know, against the society's expectations. You know, in your case, you know, I really admire you for, you know, <laughs> changing dramatically, embracing, you know, the, the meditation and the, you know, little bit of Hinduism, it's not easy to do, you know, in, in a Western society. At least, you know, this is, maybe nowadays it's, you know, yoga is everywhere and meditation, you hear about it. But maybe 10 years ago, it was not that common, uh, 10, 15 years ago. So I, I can appreciate that. Right? So, th- um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, you know, I read, uh, you know, um, in spiritual books, for example, you know, when I think I'm, I'm referring to probably Eckhart Tolle, he says, you know, when, when you connect with, you know, when you start these practices and start connecting with your inner self, um, things will begin to happen to you. I think he uses the term, you know, evolutionary impulse of the universe will will make things happen. Um, you know, like you, you suddenly find opportunities, suddenly find people who are of the same, you know, thinking and help comes in, you know, some ways, uh, you you know. So, I mean, what is your experience uh, with that? Because if anybody has changed that, you know, connected and made a shift, you know, I can think of you. And I wanted to hear about your experiences of how, you know, how we're able to start this, you know, radio station, you know, uh, from scratch. Uh, because I know you were in audio engineering and everything, but he quit that job probably and then, what happened after that? Yeah, so good question. Um, yeah, so this, this whole idea that after you, after a person starts on the spiritual path in earnest with effort, um, that the that things just happen, like the universe sort of changes and th- their world changes, um, I would definitely agree with that. That's been my experience um, since I started. I mean, even... The fact that I could find a spiritual guide that um, that I that I really admire and I and and to me is such a great role model and mentor and more. I mean, just the fact that that person came into my life was was a huge blessing and and in a way it was almost an an answer to that to my cry from inside that hey I need something something isn't right here you know. Um, so I think on the, the most major example in my life of that is finding my spiritual guide. And, um, and it was just my personality that once I found out about him and I met him, even before I met him, I was hundred percent on board. I said, okay, I'm just going to do this and trust in it, have faith in it. And, um, 
yeah, and then over the, you know, it. I'll tell you what. One of the ways the universe changed for me was, I, I like life didn't all of a sudden become perfect. I did continue to receive my share of pain and suffering, especially for those first couple years because. You know, the things I had done in the past leading up to that, they had mm-hmm. to almost play themselves out. You know, they, I had set things in motion which had to play themselves out until they stopped. So, you know, my it, my first couple, three years of of, uh, of being a student of spirituality, um, it was kind of rough. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Even though I was on board with the, my spiritual practice, it was a little rough. I mean, I had, you know, different jobs here and there and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how I was going to get married, who I was going to marry. I mean, you know, crazy things. I mean, not crazy, but so, but after a certain point, things do calm down because what I, what, what I stopped doing was... uh I stopped planting, just to use a simple analogy, I stopped planting Mm -hmm. bad seeds and I started planting good seeds. So the crop that comes in next year and the year after and the year after, it's progressively more good than bad. Um, And again, that's a generalization because I think there are deeper things inside of us that might need to be Mm -hmm. cleaned out. So I'm not saying that like I'm beyond anything bad happening to me. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but, but, it, but you're able to kind of work with the uncertainty of life, you know. You know we're able to handle the uncertainty of life, you know, because you didn't have a regular job, and so you have to find, you know, whatever comes, and then be with it. And, you know, did your spiritual practice help with that, cope with, you know, the uncertainty that comes, you know, when you do this, you know, change? Yeah, you know what? You bring up a great point, because that, it, I didn't know it, but I was very worried and fearful about my future. You know, back before I started meditation, I was, I, I thought I was fine. I didn't, I thought I was just a normal person. But upon reflection, I know I was worried and anxious and fearful about the future. Worried about, you know, am I going to get a good job? Am I going to get married? You know, is my wife going to be a good person? They were almost like subconscious fears. And you bring up a good point that after years of meditation, you know, again, with a practice that's very effective, like with the cleaning and stuff, not just, you know, mm-hmm. meditation, staring at a candle and or, or you know, something very uh, rudimentary like that, but a real spiritual practice. What it let me do was to stop worrying. And just, like you said, almost whatever comes my way is okay. Now, I still had, you know, I still had an idea of what job I wanted. And, you mm-hmm. know, I still had little desires and I kind of wanted to set goals. And this. I still did all that, but I just wasn't nervous and anxious about the actual results. And, and it, it again, kind of, yeah. It so was, you developed that feeling that, you know, everything will be all right, you know, uh, because, you know, you still have to do, uh, you know, put in the effort to find what you want, but then, then you 
you know, you kind of develop a feeling that, you know, it will be fine and it will work out. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's almost an extension of what happens when you, when you have a really good meditation and you're really in the now and you brought up Eckhart Tolle a few times. I definitely want to, we're going to talk about his teaching on future shows as well because it's phenomenal. Um, but when you have a really good meditation and you're really in the moment and you're, you kind of get absorbed into the moment, I mean, literally there is no past or future and you just feel great. You just, I mean, you don't even feel great. It's beyond great. It's just, you just are and everything is fine and there's nothing to worry about. Everything is perfect. And in a way, um, that happens sometimes during meditations, but on a bigger scale, you sort of bring that attitude into your life that you, there, there's just this deeper um, this deeper faith that everything's good and it's okay. And again, that doesn't mean that bad stuff doesn't happen. Doesn't mean you might not, you know, doesn't mean you won't get angry ever or impatient ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're still human, but subconsciously, like deep down, you have this feeling that everything's okay and I'm, yeah. I'm okay. And you'll become aware of the, these things when you get angry then you probably suddenly become aware of, okay, I'm angry now. <laughs> yeah, right? Does that happen to you? I know it happens to yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so just... I guess you, you kind of bring, you know, more awareness into, you know, how you interact and how you behave. Uh, you know, that's my experience. Right? Yeah, me too. Like you, you, you sort of catch yourself, and then you—that's that's a little dangerous, though, because when you develop awareness, and then if you do get angry, you catch yourself, but then you kind of feel bad that you got angry. So you have to like, mm-hmm. of course, feeling guilty is like one of the worst things you can feel <laughs> on a spiritual path. So it's it, right. It, that's the sort of game you play with yourself. Is like you're trying to become better, but now you're more aware. And you're you're more aware of subtleties, and you, yeah. so it, that can actually be a hindrance. Do you think? If you don't yeah, handle it properly, for example, you know, you can't yell at you know kids anymore, or you don't feel like yelling <laughs> at kids, <laughs> even if they are doing bad stuff. Uh. <laughs> right, I'm sure a lot of folks have kids, and right, it's not easy. Yeah, uh, great talking to you. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you for calling, Satya. We'll um, I'll, we'll talk soon, okay? All right, take care. Yeah, thank you, Satya. Okay, bye. Bye. So, thanks to Satya for calling. Um, yeah, a lot of good questions he asked, and he um, uh, he's on his spiritual path, so we'd love to know what path you're on. And... Um, how it's going for you. I mean, I know, you know, when people call, I know when people ask me questions, I have to answer. And, uh, but I, but I don't want the show to be all about me. So it was nice to hear a little bit about Satya's experience. And, um, and I wanted to actually read, I'll just remind you, you're listening to the mystic show on the fractal stream. We uh, we broadcast every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 
and we re- replay the show twice every evening. The show from the morning, we replay in the evening at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern. So if you miss the morning show, you can catch it in the evening, or pretty soon you'll be able to catch the podcast on demand whenever you want it, which I assume is how most people are going to going to listen to the show. So so it's been a great show today. We talked about a lot of things, the James Allen book, Byways of Blessedness, talked about hidden sacrifices. Um, I did want to mention Pause Your Life. If you haven't gone to pauseyourlife.org, um, it's a great organization that provides retreats for people who need a break. Do you ever feel like you just need a break? Well, you can take one. Go on to a Pause Your Life retreat. So if you go to pauseyourlife.org, you'll see um, you'll see a lot of cool things, actually. Some blog posts, some uh, you can pause now. You got to check that out. Pause now. You can also sign up for the email list, which is the daily pause. And that's the list where you'll get a quote every morning in your mail email box. So you can ponder it and pause and bring some balance to your life. So I'm happy you were here today listening. More information available on our website, themysticshow.net. And as you go about your day, maybe you want to ponder some of these concepts while you're just doing your routine work. And see if you have any thoughts about yourself, about your journey, about helping others. Maybe some hidden sacrifices you want to make. So I wish you the best on your spiritual journey. And keep shining. <laughs>